It's time to open your mind and expand your empire. You're listening to The Ted Huff Show. Join in for stories that embrace imperfections and become the inspiration you need to achieve true greatness in your life through actionable progress in the pursuit of self-discovery, self-improvement, and self-purpose. Where will your story take you? Now let's get it started with the man himself, your host, Ted Huff. Hey, welcome to episode 15 of The Ted Huff Show. Today, I have Daniel Bruce Levin on. He's a personal friend of mine, so you may hear me call him Danny a couple times. He's an author, a human connection expert, and business leader that has guided government organizations and corporations, as well as individuals, on how they treat others and themselves. Now, Danny walked away from an opportunity to run a business that was a household name in order to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. That journey led him on a path to become an author and give us the book, The Mosaic. Thanks for, for joining us on the Ted Hub Show. Kind of give everybody a, a background of, of what it is you're working on today, and then we'll kind of stroll back in memory lane and, and kind of look at the items that, that got you to where you're at today. Fabulous. First of all, thank you for having me. It's great. I love you. We've had some conversations. You feel like a brother. So it's always nice to meet an old friend that you haven't seen for a little bit of time, right? Definitely. Uh, Who I am today is really no different than who I've always been. It's just, if you think that life exists on a spiral rather than a straight line, it just goes a little bit deeper. I'm passing through the same problems, the same joys, the same moments, but somehow there's a there's a circling in closer to the center. But I always like to say it really doesn't matter so much what I've done. The only thing that really matters here between you and me, Ted, and the people that we're listening to is one thing. Will what happens here in our conversation touch people in a way that they feel motivated to do something they've never done before, to see something they've never seen before, to talk to someone they've never talked to before? Our job right here, you and me right now, is to make a commitment to each other and to the people listening. Our goal is one thing, to lob up a ball that allows them to get into a place that they've never been before. And if we can do that, that's a start. That's a, that's a moment in time that no one will ever forget. Yeah, so so you, you bring up the, the whole idea of we're the same person we've we've been since childhood i I think it's interesting how you how you talk about it being more like a spiral because i see it as you you start out on the outer edges of who who you are and as you make through the experiences of your life you get closer and closer to that core uh of who you are that's kind of how i see it 100 percent Let me put it really clear, okay? Vulnerably, openly, honestly clear, okay? (laughs) When I first heard that God was love, it blew me off my, my chair. I went, wow, God is love, because I always grew up with a God that was, you know, a big white beard standing there. Did you do the right thing? Are you going to make it into the book of life? Are you going to damnation of sin, all that stuff? When I, when later on in my life, I realized and I felt God is love, Something happened to me that I just, it was like, I had never heard those words before, and I never felt those words before. But do I, right now, as I sit here today, know that God is love? Mm, you know, sometimes. Well, that, that's interesting, because uh, one of the things that 
that you and I have talked about is the growing up Jewish with a lots of Christian friends. Yeah. Then deciding that you were going to go become a rabbi. But I, on your journey, you get stopped. Kind of, kind of talk us through that, that, that journey. Of, I mean, it's like you were what? Like one couple, day away. Well, one day I was, I was thinking a couple weeks, but one day away. No. So the journey was really a journey to India. I had lost my mom and dad, much like the story of the mosaic. I had lost my dad when I was 13, and I had lost my mom two years later on the exact same day, July 4th. Uh, and so I was 15 years old, no dad, no mom. So I moved to Kansas City, Missouri to be with my aunt and uncle, and my brother stayed in, in Pennsylvania. So suddenly I was alone. Oh, wow. And I started to think, like, why in the world does this happen? Like, who is uh, What's the answer to this big question? And it was only in writing the mosaic three years ago that I realized the adults told me when I asked them, where, where are my parents? Where did they go? What happened? They told me they're in this place called heaven. And I realized as a 15-year-old boy, I set out in search of that place called heaven. And though the opportunities that I, were, I was given here on earth were opportunities that were beyond anything that anybody could ever imagine, they weren't my heaven. So I went to religion. But I didn't go to religion, like organized religion. I got involved in yoga and meditation. And I sat and meditated. And I set out at 18 years old. I put out my thumb and I decided I'm going to hitchhike to India. Well, along the way, I got stopped in Jerusalem. And I stayed there for five years. But I still had all the thoughts that had taken me to India there with me. And the Rebbe said to me, your problems don't get bigger or smaller, even though they appear to. Your problems always exist right here. What happens is the more deeply we get involved in ourselves, the more strong we get in ourselves, we rise up. And so what seemed like a mountain before, now it becomes a molehill. And the weaker we get in ourselves, that molehill now looks like a mountain. So you just have to get to know yourself. One day before I was going to be ordained, I went to the Rebbe and I said, Rebbe, my shelf just caved in. I have to leave. And he said, I so respect what you're trying to do. I don't respect the way you're doing it. I think you should stay here. I think you should become <laughs> ordained. I think you should do what is in front of you. But I respect you. And he said, I want you to one day answer for me. Why were you born Jewish? Do you think you were born Jewish to go off to India and sit? and become a, a yogi. And about seven years later, I went back to Jerusalem and sat with him. And I said, you're not going to like this answer. But I know the answer of why I was born Jewish now. All right. So, you know, I have to ask, yeah, I, you know, I have to ask, what was the answer that you found after going to India? You would think I would have known it before because it was what led me away from organized religion to begin with. There was a tightness there. There was a belief system. And I, and I would speak to the Rebbe about it all the time. There was a system that said this way is right and this way is wrong. Up where, up where we're headed, if we make it there, there's only one. At that place, everything is one. Nothing's right. Nothing's wrong. But in this world we live in, if this is right and anything is not this, the, that's wrong. You have to find what's right and do what's right. And I said to him, you know something? I think I was born Jewish to bring a bigger understanding of what you just said to the world, 
because I don't believe that's a true understanding. I believe that's an understanding of fear, not an understanding of love. Oh, wow. I could be, I could be wrong. Uh, but I still make it every day past the, the, you know, Yom Kippur, I make it into the book of life at least one more year. I don't know. How, I don't know. How. <laughs> oh, so one of the, one of the other stories that, that I, I liked that, that you and I have t- chatted about, um, was that you've had a handful of aha moments like at at seminary and after coming back another one that was was a big one that that impacted me and and i it fits really well with with what i'm working on what my project is is to help get the stories out to everybody about other people and and what has made them who they are was that story of being in new york city and then everything feeling like it just stood still and that realization that you had kind of walk us through what that would, what that feeling of everything stopping. I mean, I, yeah. I, I haven't had that happen to me and I will say yet, um, but kind of help us understand what that feeling was and just kind of what started going through your mind when, when everything just slowed down. I've had numerous experiences where I've understood that the reality that I see is not at all the reality. It's only a part of the reality. Ooh, actually, there are. That, that, so that, that, sorry, I'm, I'm go ahead. Go. So, so when, when you start to look at that partially, I, because one of the big themes that, that I like to bring in is the whole perception. So, so the fact that you're bringing up the perception of our reality, I, I, I think that is, that is huge. So going into the understanding that, that the reality that we see today may not be the, is is created by us i think is where you were going but you're you're way gentler than i <laughs> the little voice in my head says to me 100% guaranteed the reality that we see is not the total reality 100% guaranteed and you know we see it in a very simple exercise that all of us have seen we see it in that picture it's a black and white picture of an old hag and a young socialite and, and they use it in psychological studies sometimes. And, and that one is so familiar that we can go back and forth and we can see them, but we can never see both of them at the same time. And the first time we saw it, we either saw an old hag or a young socialite. I remember the first time I saw it, I saw an old hag. And someone said, but do you see the young socialite? I said, what are you, crazy? There's an old hag here. There is no young socialite. They said, no, you got to turn your, you got to change your perception. You got to just look at it. The chin is, the chin is not the chin, the head, the flat, the, there's a feather in the top of it. It's not her hair. I said, what the heck are you talking about? And then bam, it happened. You blink your eye. You just, the perception just changed. And suddenly in front of me was the socialite and I could no longer see the old hag. And I've had a fight now to say, hold it, where was the old hag? She was here. How could it be that this single picture that exists right now could possibly go from seeing one thing with absolute certainty to seeing another thing with absolute certainty and not seeing the other thing? I just saw it. How could, where did it go? I believe that picture is symbolic of the way we live life. Not only don't we see everything that's in life, what we see actually blocks us from seeing everything else that's in life. 
And we're talking about that in this one reality. Imagine when we have an unzip the sky moment, when you start to see what you never saw, what you start to see what's there, but you can't see. That's called innovation. When you do that in your business, that changes the course of your business. When you do that in your personal life, that changes the way you view the whole world. Everything changes with a change of perception. And what the mosaic has taught me is a very simple formula. Our thoughts become our words. Our words we use to tell our stories. And our stories make up our life. So if we're not happy with anything in, in any of those things, if we're not happy with the way our life is going, we're one story away, one thought away, one word away from creating an entirely different life. And we can do that. Through all of your different journeys, you'd mentioned to me that they were preparing you for, for what was to come in your life. And, and with your with your daughter and her, the way she communicates being so different than most, yeah. kind of help us understand and, and help the audience understand what what was that aha moment for you? Because like you've mentioned to me, she doesn't communicate like most people. Yeah, I, I have the blessing of having a 29 year old developmentally delayed daughter. They don't know what she has. They can't classify her as autistic or retarded or, or, or cerebral palsy. But she, she has the beautiful mosaic of several different things. They have no idea what it is. And it's been one of the biggest frustrations in my life because I've always, I've always been a fix-it guy. I've always been somebody that says, you got a problem? Move away. I'll take care of it. But there's been no way to fix it. There is no fix. And one of the beautiful, beautiful things she's taught me over time is you don't need to fix me, Daddy. I'm fine. One of the most beautiful ways she did that is in the way she communicates to me. And I'm saying this to you now from the other side of the equation, because yeah. during that time, there was nothing but frustration. We spent four, five, six, eight years of her getting frustrated trying to say something to me, getting frustrated because I couldn't get it, screaming it because I couldn't get it. But it wasn't because her I didn't hear her. It was because I couldn't understand her because she speaks like a person who's had a stroke or something and she hasn't had a stroke. And when she screamed and I still couldn't get it, then what happened is she started to throw a tantrum. And I thought, what the heck is going on? We're in the middle of someplace and she's screaming and yelling and tantruming and oh my God, like what? Like I'm about to kill myself here because this, I, like this is, I remember driving in, a, in our convertible down the, through the center of our town and all of a sudden she started screaming and throwing a tantrum and the people said, what are you doing? Did you stay? You know, they, they called the police. The police came. I said to the policeman, please take lock me up. Take me to jail. Uh, you take care of her. I'm done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I've had it here. He said, well, well what's going on? I, and I explained him the story. And he obviously everything was OK. But when she threw the tantrum and she finally didn't get it, she came running at me to try and rip my shirt or bite me. It took me a long time to realize that everyone that I know does exactly that same thing. 
When they speak and they don't get heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create a scene. It can be in a marriage, in a company, in a, in a, in a government, in an initiative. When they, when they create a scene and it doesn't get hurt, heard, then they try and destroy something. A terrorist will blow up a building. A person will, will try and create, uh, destroy a marriage. Uh, uh, someone will try and destroy a company because they just want to be heard. And so once I, I, I sort of realized that, and I said to her, Elisa, are you trying to tell me something in a way that I don't understand? And she was in the middle of rage. She was in the middle of like, coming at me to try and, <laughs> and she, and she went from that rage moment to just uncontrollable laughing. And I said, hold it. What are you laughing for? And she said, you got it, daddy. Perfect English. Oh, wow. And I said, what did I get? Are, are you trying to talk to me in a way? How are you trying to tell, talk to me? And she went like this. She put her finger to her head. And I said, are you putting thoughts into my head? Is that what you're doing? And she started laughing and laughing and laughing. <laughs> and she said, yes, daddy. And do you know from that moment on, I had always thought that's what was happening. I just didn't believe it. I listened now to her thoughts in my head. And she rarely, rarely, rarely throws a tantrum. So two things I learned from that. One is people are, all, are always trying to communicate to us. The world itself is always trying to communicate to us. We have to be open to listen to the world and the people around us in a way that we're not prepared to listen to them. Second thing is every single thing, animate and inanimate, has a desire to be listened to and understood, appreciated and accepted. Nobody says they want you to agree with them. All she wanted was for me to understand her. Once I understood her, I didn't have to agree with her. I could say, hey, Elisa, I get what you're saying. I still don't think we can do that. I mean, as your dad, I, I have to take responsibility. We can't do that right now. But I understand that that's what you want to do. And she was just happy then. So getting through that, what would you say? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big hurdle to, to get over um, or to work through. I wouldn't even say get over, but to work through. What would you say is like the most memorable or life-altering failure or setback that, that you had that really set you up to alter your perception of what was possible? I love when a story comes full circle and you can tie a pretty little bow around it. Because really the biggest changing point, and there have been millions of them, but this one is so obvious. The biggest changing point was my, the death of my parents. Because all my life, what I've done is I've searched for that love. All my life, the only thing that I wanted was to be loved unconditionally. I remember my bar mitzvah picture. And my mom and dad were holding me and hugging me from the back. And the way they were holding me and the look in their eyes. And I don't look at that that much. That was, gosh, that was 50 years ago. I barely ever look at it. But the memory of that picture is right in here. The way they loved me, the way they accepted me, set an imprint 
I said, that's what's possible. My purpose is one thing and one thing only. To hold the space for people to feel loved in the way my mom and dad held me and felt and, and made me feel loved in that moment. When people feel loved, when people feel that sense of acceptance and love, the corresponding feeling that goes with that is invincibility. Nothing anybody can do can take that away. So through previous conversations, we've, we've hit on a couple of things. And, and I know you, you go back to that love and that is something that, that has always been important to you. And that's the one thing you've been looking at and chasing after when you found out that you may lose and you eventually did lose Elisa's mother. How did that test hmm. your belief in love? So I lost faith in myself. I lost faith in the God that I believed in. I lost faith in the connections that I had with people. It scared the hell out of me. And to this day, having lost my parents, having Elisa be developmentally delayed, having lost my wife, a belief system, a thought pattern came into my head. The thought pattern was, boy, the people around me get hurt. That thought pattern started to express itself in the words that I would say. Those words that I said started to tell a story. And that story started to create a life. And even now, as I remarried, and as I'm with a woman who loves me, boy, she's a saint. I don't know how she loves me and puts <laughs> up with me. But she loves me with all of her heart. And still I push her away and hold her back. Because I, if I have a belief system about myself, true or false, it doesn't matter. That if you come close to me, you're going to get hurt. The best thing I can do to love you is to hold you away. And I talk to her about it. And she says, it's okay. Just pull me in. We're going to change that belief system together. And I, I pull her in for a little while and I, ah, ah, you know, but, but what if, you know, but what if? Right, right. Right. So is that, has that changed how you define friendship as well? Is, is those experiences? Absolutely. So Absolutely. how would you define friendship now? Hmm. Let me say this. I think a lot of people think I'm their friend. I don't think a lot of people are my friend. And I guess that what that means to me, because it's I'm the one that's affected by it, right? So when we understand that this reality is not the only reality, when the reality that I see is not the only reality that is, what's happened for me now is I feel like I'm in the process of trying to elevate because I believe we're one connection away, just like a mosaic. We're one piece away from seeing an entirely different reality. I know the reality that I'm living in is not real. I know the reality that I've been, been holding up is causing me to suffer. Look, I was a monk for 10 years in a monastery, siloed. As beautiful as that silo was, it was still siloed. I had walls around me. I continued. I got married, still siloed. Because I was scared that people coming close to me would get hurt. 
My wife did get hurt. She, she died the most painful death you could ever imagine. My daughter, I'm somewhat, she siloed because she holds herself within her own space. And as much as I try and reach out to her and invite her in, she's the one person that I let come in, but she holds a silo, probably because she holds a silo. And so until I am able to elevate to the place where those silos don't exist, one silo is just replaced by another to protect me from the pain that I anticipate is going to come. Whether it comes or not, doesn't matter. I anticipate it. And so my wife says, Danny, come out. It's okay. I'm here. But I believe friendships exist beautifully. When one person can reach out and invite another person into their space, here's where it's messed up a little. But I believe they can do that because they know the other person has a bit of a silo and they won't ever be challenged to really surrender themselves completely. Because I'm 63 years old and I have not seen a lot of relationships, maybe a couple, where people behind the scenes, not in front, are completely transparent, are completely connected, are completely there for each other. We all have our pain, and our pains prevent us from experiencing ourselves. And when we can't experience ourselves, what ends up happening is we feel siloed by those walls that protect us. It's time for those of us who are in silos to figure out a way to melt those silos down. So defining friendship is understanding that someone else has a silo and being willing to accept that silo. Um, that's a sweet way of saying it. <laughs> well, I try and put it in a nice way. What I was saying, I think, was somewhat different. Okay. What I was saying is, look, I can't tell if it's because this is what I feel and then that's all only what I see. Or if it's because it's real. So everybody has to listen to this mm -hmm. and make their own determination. In almost every relationship that I've seen, there is someone who is siloed and someone who is inviting them to drop the silo. Sometimes it's just a loving heart saying, you're safe here. Come on out. And as beautiful as that person is that says, you're safe here. Come on out. What I'm actually saying is what gives them the strength to say that is knowing that the other person will not. Oh, wow. Okay. And they are safe to offer their love because if the other person comes out and actually says, here I am, they're scared shitless. And I haven't seen, I wish to God, that's why I said, if people have a relationship like that, I'm talking real. I'm not talking BS. No. I'm not talking like, show me my wall. My wall looks beautiful. And my wife and I together in our walled off community where my wall and her wall come together. We have beautiful walls. I don't give a shit about that. Pardon my language. No, it's all right, man. Okay. What I, what I want is to find silo free relationships. Do you think it's I want possible? Yes, I do. Yeah. And I feel it. I'm like one inch away from it, but it takes a lot of work. And the reason why we don't have siloed free relationships is because we don't know ourselves. The more we have to, I have to get to this place where I say my wife's safe to do that because she'll never, she'll, she knows I'll never come out. And when I come out, I see what happens. I come out and I say, baby, come on. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do it. <gasps> and this is the most loving woman I've ever met, but it's scary to love. I don't know why it's scary to love. It's scary to be ourselves. Why is it scary to be ourselves? When I ask people, who are you? 99% of the time, the answer I get, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I, I, that, it's interesting you bring that up because it, I ask myself that question 
And I come up a lot of times with, if I don't use a label, like a father, a husband, a friend, those are just labels. They're not who we really are. That's what you do. Right. Those, if you, if you think about a spoke, if you think about a wheel, you have the rim of the wheel, you have the spokes of the wheel and you have the hub. The spokes of the wheel is I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a, a podcaster, I'm a business guy, I'm a man. Those are the spokes of the wheel. The rim is how we play in the world around us and what impact we have. But the hub is who we are. The hub is unchanged by what we do. It, it, it creates what we do. We don't know what we are at that hub. All my life, I grew up, and, and as I was walking away from all these amazing opportunities, people would say, why would you do that? And I said, I don't know. I just feel like I have to find myself. But now at 63 years old, I look back into the world that I see. I see a lot of people that have some money. I don't see many people that have contentment. I see a lot of people that think they're all purposeful, but I see nobody who knows themselves. Very, I can count on one hand the people that I know who know themselves. And I'm talking about saints. I'm talking about people that lead other people. Right. I, I've had the opportunity to know some of the most amazing people in the world, but they don't know themselves. And so at what point will we say, I spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, doesn't matter. If you do, I've been in this, I've been in this game for billions of years, if you believe in reincarnation. Right. Don't you think it would be a good moment now to take some time to figure out who the heck I am? I think that's the piece that if if I can help anybody, it's it's for them to understand that finding out who you are is not a place at least from my perspective it's not a place it, it's it's a journey it, it's constantly looking it's constantly asking questions of yourself it's constantly trying to open up your or or so i'm going to play with you here because i'm right. going to put i'm going to push you back a little um it is only a constant journey until you get there and when you find yourself, when you have the sense of who you are, it might only be that you've experienced for a, for a brief few seconds. It might only be that you've known it for a moment or two. But the moment you know that moment, you never question it again. There is no, there is no, am I this? Am I that? What am I? What at? Where did I go? What happened? You know who you are. How is it possible that we don't know who we are? We're the only one that's, that has the possibility of knowing who we are. We're with ourselves 24 hours a day, We're, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And, and maybe billions of lifetimes. And so how is it possible? When I ask somebody, what are, you, what are you here to do? I don't know. How is that possible? If you imagine throughout all of time, the creator doesn't just create randomly for his benefit. He doesn't just create to duplicate because he's already done it. If it's already been done, there's no need in the world for you to be created. So if you can imagine from the beginning of time till this moment, what you're here to do has never been done in the way you're going to do it before. And because you're going to do it now, from this moment on till the end of time, it will never be done again. Don't you think it would be worthwhile to spend some time, turn the TV off, put your cell phone down, get out from behind the box of your screen and sit and say, what is it? What's my purpose here? 
that purpose can grow and evolve. And I'll tell you a personal story. That purpose has changed for me just recently. And the mosaic has been my purpose for the last three years. And I thought all this time before, it had, I lived a purposeful life. But now the mosaic, this idea of connecting every piece of me together, there's four connections that happen. There's connection to self, connection to source, connection to purpose, connection to others. If we're living in a silo, what sort of connection to self do we have? We have a, we have a, we have a relationship like this, where we're just hitting ourselves. And we have to protect ourselves from ourselves. And the world we're living in is three inches from our face and three inches from our body. That's no life to live. What sort of experience can I give with you? How can I love you and get to know you and experience you and have you love me when I have a sight, when I have a wall? I don't know where I'm going to hit myself. I can hit myself on the top of the head. I can kick myself in the foot. So I have to have that wall go from the top of my head all the way to the bottom of my body. How do I have any relationship with you? How do I? And, and you have one, too. So how does our what we have, our relationship up until this point is your wall meets my wall. And we think that we're intimate. <laughs> there is no intimacy there. Right. There's protection there. So when I drop that wall around me and I love myself, I realize that love has dropped that wall. When I now realize that that love has the ability to melt everything, I now say to you, Ted, hey, listen, and I'm not talking to you only you. I'm talking to you as all the people listening to you now, right? Yeah. Hey, hey, Ted, if I make a promise to you that what you tell me I will never, ever, 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 ever use against you, that I will only use it to support you and uplift you and love you and take care of you. Do you think we can take down some of the bricks of this wall? And if you feel scared at any point in time, stop me. And so I'm going to stop you at this point. I normally ask what's ha what, you know, belief, behavior, habit has changed in the last three to five years. Well, it's been a lot sooner for you. So right what, what has changed your perception so much so quickly? The perception is it's only love. The only thing that's important is love. When it first came to me, I was like, come on, that's been said so many times before. I, you know, I like to say it. I like to be original. But there's nothing original in the world. I have been so hard on myself. I have held myself accountable for things, for stories that I created that were not even true. And I've punished myself for those stories. And I've hit myself and knocked myself down with feelings of I'm not good enough, or I can't do it, or I'm not enough, or I'm stupid, I'll never be able to learn that. And so I started this 21 day challenge that people can join me on. If they go to the mosaiconline.com, they can get one of these bracelets. It's a be kind to you bracelet. And the idea is to try and go 21 consecutive days practicing kindness to self. I haven't gotten much further than our conversation before. I'm on day two today. Oh, that is awesome, man. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I, this morning, wasn't even fully, actually, let me rephrase that. I wasn't awake before I started being unkind to myself. Totally. Totally. I was still asleep in a dream state being unkind to myself. So it's become so natural for me to do that it's my norm. It's like inhaling and exhaling. I'm so I'm so accustomed to being unkind to myself, to putting myself down, to hitting myself, to attacking myself, to living in that silo that it's become the pain there has become an acceptable pain. So but that pain is your your pain tolerance for self hate, 
I guess is about the only way to describe it. Yeah. Because I know for myself and probably yourself and many of the, the people in the audience, uh, we've said things to ourselves <laughs> that we could never imagine anyone saying to us or us allowing somebody to say that. Or, or us even, saying to another person. I was we just going to say, or even saying say to somebody to else. Yeah. I would never say to you the language I say to myself. I, I have a little bit of refinement. But why would I treat you so much better than I would treat me? You're, I know you all of about a few months. I know me my whole life. Why would I be kind to myself? And what I realized is in that simple practice of being kind, of trying to maintain 21 days, I punished myself because I've been doing it now for about four and a half months and I'm only on day two. I've gotten to day five a couple times, but most of the times I switch, I don't even make it past day one. And what happens is when I'm not kind to myself, I notice myself doing something that's not kind. I take it off my left hand and I put it on my right hand. And practice starts again. This is day one. I change this thing sometimes 10, 15, 20 times a day. So I'm happy now that I'm on day two. The idea is. You better put it back on the other wrist, though. Why? <laughs> Did I, did I just do something wrong? <laughs> okay, but, but, that's, but that's what happens. That's, that's what, like my wife does it with me and she'll say, okay, did you, you got to change your wristband. And I go, oh, shoot, you know, you're right, I do. The idea isn't to get to 21 days in 21 days, although that would be beautiful. Uh, you'd I, almost have to be a monk at that point, would you not? Yeah, but even being a monk, I was a monk and I still beat myself up all the time. I didn't meditate enough. I wasn't deep enough. <laughs> I didn't go deep. I should have gotten up early. I was sleeping when I was meditating. I wasn't being as conscious as I should have been. So it doesn't, that's, that's, there's, there's no, there's no walls that can protect us from the walls of self-hatred. We live in those walls. It's time for those walls to melt. And when I realized that every single thing is, is, is built on that foundation that until I'm kind to myself, I can't fulfill my purpose of loving because I can't even love myself. Yeah. And so I have to love myself so that I can love God, so that I can love you, so that I can love this whole collected reality of, of the world that we live in. And the world desperately needs people who love. We are in dire need because the world we're living in now hates the world we're living in sees, sees differences, not similarities. So this simple little bracelet has the ability in my mind to end suffering. Because when we can practice that, our suffering ends. And remember, the lie has become so easy to believe we call it the truth. And the truth has become so hard to believe we call it a lie. But the truth isn't a lie. The truth is we are united. We're, we're, we're connected. Quantum physics tells us that. Metaphysics tells us that. We're not this body that seems so solid. We're energy. We're flows, swirls of energy. When you look at a microscope at this body, what you see is swirls of energy. You see atoms and neurons and what, all those other. The closer and closer you get, the more and more everything looks the same. A hundred percent. So literally, wherever you are, what the air you're breathing, I'm exhaling, I'm inhaling three seconds later. In front of us is are, are the molecules of every single person that's ever existed. We have Adolf Hitler and Gandhi right in front of us, and we can we can connect to those piece those molecules anytime we choose. We're one. 
peace away from complete peace, P-E-A-C-E, one piece, P-I-E-C-E, to one piece, P-E-A-C-E. That's how close we are. We're one letter off. One letter off. One piece away. And, and the only piece that we don't have is this piece here, because when we make the change here, there's no, we are no pieces away. We are completely united with it. But I want people to know that I've seen that reality. That reality is real. The reality that we're living in today, which seems so real, is not real. It's real on the dimension we're living at, but in the other dimension, it's not real. And if we have a choice, I'm pining away for that other reality. So it's interesting is, and I'm, I'm just going to go back a little bit because, you know, we're, we're missing the piece with the eye in it. And the thing that comes to my mind there is that the piece we want is the one with the A. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason why we can't find the piece with an eye is because we're looking inside as an individual versus outside to the all. To the so overall people. Maybe. The saying that I, I came up with is K-N-O-W-P-I-E-C-E. -E. When you know the peace, P-I-E-C-E. -E, there you go. You will know peace, P-E-A-C-E. -E. Okay. But but if you if you N-O-P-I-E-C-E, -E, if you don't have that peace, P-I-E-C-E, -E, then you, there will be N-O-P-E-A-C-E. -E. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. It does. We have to know ourselves. The biggest thing that I could leave with people is if, until we get to know ourselves, until we experience the peace of who we are, we can't even come close to, to bringing all the pieces of who we are together. We are made up of a mosaic. But we say these pieces are no good and these pieces are good and this piece is what I – we separate. Our, our life is made of separation. We sort, we sort everything. We sort everything and those pieces are not what I am. This is really who I am. When I say to you, you got to know thyself and people say, you mean your higher self? I say, know yourself. All the pieces. There is the no higher self. self and lower self. It's just there is one piece. But we, we are so used to separating and differentiating and saying this is right and this is wrong and this is good and this is bad. In the world of one, there is nothing but one. With studying the religion that you have, do you look at those books which communicate those thoughts and those perceptions? Do you believe that those books have inspired you the most? Or is there other books, and you can't count yours, that, <laughs> that have inspired you more than than the books of of the faith and religions that you've you've studied there are a billion books that have inspired me but um, if, if you had to choose if i had to choose one, one or two i will guarantee that it will change the way you'll perceive your life and that book is called autobiography of a yogi the man who wrote it is paramahansa yogananda he wanted to show that the teachings of the east which is the Bhagavad Gita and the teachings of the West, which was the Bible, were essentially saying exactly the same thing. That the churches are filled with people 
who believe in Christ the man, but not Christ the consciousness. And when Christ said, there's no way to go to the Father but through me, he wasn't talking as an egoic human being. He was talking about a point here between the eyebrows. The consciousness. The third eye. The, yeah. the only way to feel that God consciousness is to raise all of your energy up to the upper levels of your body and then to use this as a portal to connect to another world. I have seen that reality. I know that reality. I don't have it all the time, but he did. What are three tactics that they can take away? And you've brought up two things that I, that I definitely want to get as two of your tactics. One is when you lose that focus, or let's say that you, you feel like you're seeing with that third eye, you're seeing that consciousness piece of it, and you lose the consciousness, what can people do to open that third eye back up? Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, they're really easy. We've been talking about it the whole time. That makes it even better. <laughs> the, it's the practice of being kind to yourself. That you haven't lost anything. You just had a beautiful experience, and now you don't feel the experience. But it doesn't mean that the experience of this moment is any less beautiful. In truth, if that moment really happened this moment would be as beautiful too. Day doesn't sit long to become night. It's happy being day. And night is happy being night. They're just different experiences. So I would say, get out of your head. We live our lives so much in our head. When, some, when somebody starts to feel like they're in their head too much, so you, you mentioned be kind to yourself when you get inside of your head. Yeah, be kind to yourself all the time. Be kind to yourself when you succeed. Be kind to yourself when you fail. Be kind to yourself and realize there's no difference between success and failure. I know you want to make it very linear. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I appreciate that in you. And I really want you to, I really, I really admire that. And yet where I'm being led right now, normally I have a very linear way of thinking too. I want to break out that, of that box. I want to break out and say there aren't three things. There's only one thing. All right. We'll, we'll take I, – I, I, There is nothing – there is nothing that exists other than oneness. Everything that keeps you from feeling that, discard. We are not broken pieces that need to be fixed. We're part of a beautiful mosaic. And when we really experience that, even the mortar that holds the peace that I am to the peace that you are, are diminishes. There's nothing there. We literally just become connected in the peace that we share, P-E-A-C-E. -E. And when our pieces, P-I-E-C-E, -E, become our peace, P-E-A-C-E, -E, that's what we're here for. We're not here for anything else. We're not here to learn any lessons. We're not broken. If we have a purpose, our purpose is to hold the space so that anybody who, anybody who doesn't feel that can pour all that they don't feel into that tank so that they know that when they're empty of all the things that keep them from having that love and peace, they see for themselves who they are. You don't need me to tell you who you are. You need you to see who you are. In my book, The Mosaic, Mose spent his whole journey learning from people 
to see what he never saw before. And then he meets the mirror maker. And the mirror maker asks him a very simple question. She says to him, Mo, when you look into the mirror, what do you see? And she says to him, most people don't, don't have any idea what they see. They tell me their stories of what they think they are. Mo said, I'm afraid I'm going to do the same thing. She said, no, you're not, Mo. Look into that mirror without your stories, without your beliefs, without your thoughts. Who are you? And in that moment, he realizes that what he sees is the same thing as everything he doesn't see. That's what we're here to do. But it takes time. Or it doesn't. Sometimes you, you get a good bottle of wine and you open, you, you <laughs> crush the grapes and it's ready. But sometimes it has to just sit on the shelf. Nobody knows when it's going to be ready or not. But you're not worse because you're not there yet. Or better because you are. So number one, be kind to yourself. Love yourself so that you can love others. So we'll take that as the first one. Perfect. And the second one is hold space for... Just listen to other people. Take the time to get to know another person. We don't take time to listen. Look how much I talk. Hold the space for people to pour all of their pain, all of their suffering. Just hold that space for them and say, I'm going to hold this space out here. I'm going to hold this container for you. Pour everything that pains you. Pour everything that's, that hurts you. And I promise you, I'll never use it against you. But just rid yourself of it. Pour it all in here. And even if they come at me and say, Danny, it's you. It's because of you that I feel this. I understand. Just keep pouring more. Tell me more. No need to defend myself. No need to rationalize myself. No need. Not now. In this moment, you just hold that space for them to empty themselves of all their suffering. And the compassionate part of holding space is to be the vehicle to end their suffering. But he said it so, he said so beautifully what I believe the mosaic is about. So what we're going to do is um, in the show notes, I'm going to go ahead and give everybody links to, to Danny's page for the mosaic. I'll also put a special link in there for the 21 day challenge. And of course, all of the links to his social medias and all those different things to reach out to him. Danny does so much more um, than just the book mosaic. And I encourage you to learn more about him and what he can help you with, as well as things to participate in to find yourself. He does a lot of things around that. So definitely take the time to do so. Danny, I as always, we always have great conversations and I am beyond grateful for having our paths cross. Definitely really, really appreciate the time you have taken away from your day. I, there is nothing to take away from anything. You've given me that time and I want you to know how much I enjoy the gift of your time and the gift of the time that we have together. You do an amazing job asking questions to get to the heart of stuff. And I appreciate you and I appreciate the show and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, it was definitely all my pleasure. Thanks again, Danny. Big love. That's it for this episode of the Ted Huff Show. But we know you're wondering where you go from here. TedHuff.com makes it easy for you to get notifications for new episodes, specialized contests, exclusive giveaways, and upcoming events simply by signing up for our mailing list. You'll get access to all this and more by visiting TedHuff.com. That's T-E-D-D-H-U-F-F.com. Until next time, open your mind and expand your empire right here on the Ted Huff Show.